It's 5 o'clock in pirate country, and it's time to get pumped up with the P-Man. Hit the road. 94.3 The Game is going to get you home, and the P-Man's not holding back. Yes! Yes! Pirates win! Pirates win! Bring on the Patrick Johnson Show on 94.3 The Game. Holy mackerel! Oh, my goodness! The flagship station of the ECU Pirates. Everybody, it is the uh, get you to the weekend edition of the Patrick Johnson Show. Uh, big episode today. Doug Martin will talk uh, the expanded playoffs and uh, get his thoughts on the championship games with him. Coach is a busy dude. Uh, stuff going on with my guy Doug Martin. He's been a great uh, addition to our coverage this year, uh, both on our pregame when we've had him on, but uh, here on Fridays, a lot of fun. Still a football Friday, of course, and. Uh, Brian Mole will be with us. Talk uh, some college hoops. Talk a little bit about uh, East Carolina and Campbell coming up tonight. I'll be on the tube, ESPN Plus. Headed over. And uh, we'll be bringing you uh, that with Cy Seymour. Of course, uh, Ben Byram, 6 o'clock, little Pirate Game Day countdown. You know, give or take some time there. And then uh, we'll get into... Uh, Breaking down uh, things for the Camels and the Pirates, and uh, then network coverage, 6.30 tonight. Jeff Charles, Coach Michael Perry, Philip Pilkington in the studio. Uh, Little Fleetwood Mac, Christine McVie. For my money, one of the engines that made that band uh, go passed away the other day, or actually last weekend. It was announced the other day. So a little bit of that here going to the weekend. Here we go. Lindsey Buckingham. Play it, Lindsey. get a little uh you know looser a little different here on a friday of course um we've got uh, at our radiothon going on operation santa claus in conjunction with uh, greenville fire and rescue and uh boy what a what a huge morning on the talk of the town uh 50 grand before we went off the air huge numbers check our social media for our, our sister stations we'll we'll tell you what uh the final tallies were but uh, heartwarming day and uh, another chance next week uh, down in Moorhead City for that. So uh, always one of the favorite days of uh, our company is that day. Uh, today today with uh, Operation Santa Claus. Uh, Cliff Godwin stopped by, uh, our friend, the mayor of Greenville, P.J. Conley. Uh, but also Coach Houston was by today. 
Sean McGlawhorn, a uh, huge $15,000 donation. What a guy. And then Travis Burt and his wife uh, do so much for the university and people in the East. And uh, for this, they match the donation. Uh, just, just an awesome thing. But anyway, Coach Houston was there, and it was very interesting today. Henry asked him about, you know, the bowl situation. And Coach was invoking the Florida Bulls. All of a sudden. So, I thought that was pretty interesting. Pirates out recruiting today. So, uh, we'll see where it all goes. Big recruiting weekend. Handful of uh, big prospects on uh, campus this uh, weekend. Uh, we got Pirate Hoops tonight, as we mentioned. So, uh, we'll get you ready for that. We'll talk that with Brian Mullen. When we come back, we'll start talking some college uh, football. With uh, Doug Martin here on the Patrick Johnson. Get you to the weekend edition on 94.3 The Game. All season long, we've talked to Coach Doug Martin, ECU offensive coordinator under Steve Logan, head coach for New Mexico State and Kent State. Fisherman at large now. He's like Frank White, the Southern sportsman. He's uh, down at the coast to join uh, things. Coach joins us here on the Patrick Johnson Show. I hope it was a great Thanksgiving for you and your family, Coach. Oh, we had a great time, Patrick. Yeah, I hope you guys did too. It was uh, nice having family around and uh one of my sons was still coaching football, so I didn't have that worry this year. Got to enjoy the Thanksgiving day. You kicked back and watched a bunch of games last weekend, didn't you? Yeah, you know what? It's been really interesting. This whole year off for me has been really interesting. You know, watching football from a different perspective and talking to different coaches and, and just seeing different ways people do things. It, it's been a, a lot of fun. I've really enjoyed it. What is the thing that you maybe have – picked up on the most or maybe said, hey, if, if given, uh, you know, the opportunity to get back into this thing, I might try something that way. Is, is there any particular area or thing that you've noticed that you really like? Well, I, I think obviously the obvious things are, you know, how the transfer portal and NIL have changed the, the game. Wait a minute. I said things you like. That can't be. <laughs> no, that's not things I like. That's but, but Something has definitely changed, and you're going to have to embrace it because it's not going away. And, right. and uh, that's one of the things that I, you know, I know people are attacking in different ways. One of the things I really have liked that I enjoyed, saw a couple of people doing, are, are a lot of teams are practicing in the mornings now. Mm. And, you know, and, and that's interesting. You know, the players don't start classes till after 1 o'clock in the afternoon, so they get everything done in the morning. Uh, they feel like the players get more rest from the time you finish that last tough practice on Thursday till you play on a Saturday, there's a lot more rest time and, uh, and a lot more time for the coaches too, to handle recruiting and to be with their families because by five, six o'clock in the afternoon, now you're done instead of being there all, all night. So that's been interesting watching the different teams that practice that way. I, I don't want to get into this conversation solely because there's a ton of things to talk about, but, you know, there's been kind of a shift away. You have a lot of teams that maybe don't have as much contact during the week anymore. How did you go about changing that, or were you kind of old school in your approach? You know, I tell you what, uh, Steve Logan, when I was at East Carolina, was way ahead of that curve. And, you know, we hardly ever practiced in full gear. Mm-hmm. Even from 90, what was that, 92 mm-hmm. to 90, 2002, we hardly ever practiced in full pads unless we were scrimmaging or we were playing maybe a wishbone team or something like that. We always practiced in shells, and the hitting was really limited. He was a big believer in 
being having the fastest team on the field by Saturday and having the healthiest team. So I always embraced that, and we always kept that uh, that mantra everywhere I went. Interesting. We, we didn't we didn't practice maybe as long as other people, but I felt like our practices were more efficient. Um, so I, I've always been been on that boat. Uh, Coach Doug Martin joining us uh, here. The big story coming out of the last couple of days, the expansion of the college football playoff. They're going to go to 12 teams, highest six league champions, and then the other six will be the highest ranked at-larges remaining. What Do you like it? Well, I, I think it needs to expand. I, I'm, you know, I, I mean, I've coached a lot of group of five schools, and I'm just really interested in seeing those programs and those conferences have access. Uh, I, I think this whole thing needs to be inclusive and not exclusive. You know, it's always been the exclusive thing where, you know, a couple of SEC teams are going to be in there, Big Ten, and maybe it's always the same teams. So, you know, and I've told you before, you know, my feelings, Patrick, the reason the college basketball tournament every March is so uh, popular is everybody has a chance. I mean, you've got all those teams in there. The small schools, the Cinderella's are always the big story, and that's what gets everybody excited. Football never has that. Right. So I hope that as band and, and it goes to 12 teams, I hope, you know, some a Tulane or somebody – Central Florida a couple of years ago, a Boise State. Somebody can jump up there and, and make a run as a smaller program that brings a lot of interest to football, to college football. You know, there was that thought. Uh, we were talking to a guest yesterday, Jerry Palm, uh, with CBS Sports, and, and he's you know was saying that that could be a scenario where there would be a year where uh, possibly a couple of teams out of the, the G5, if you will, get, get in in this scenario. I mean, it think it would take some doing but it there there very much is a possibility that that could happen so you know that's that's a good thing what do you think of the additional you know games they're going to make the quarters uh and the semifinals bowl games so that that's kind of a you know another and i understand wanting to do that and, and keep the bowl games the pageantry that i think that ship has sailed but I mean that, that's kind of just another week of of preparation, another week of games for for certain schools. And uh, you know, I always look at it too through the fans' eyes. Yeah, and, and obviously at the high levels, fans are going to spend money and go places. But I mean, that's another trip for people, and, and you know, economic times aren't so hot right now. So uh, just kind of all of that would just like to get your thoughts on that extra week potentially of football. Yeah, I think, you know, you've got a lot of traditions of bowl games that have been really good for a long time. So I think incorporating the bowl games into that model is, is probably, a, you know, a healthy thing. Uh, I think that'll, that'll certainly help it. Um, I, I think one of the obstacles that's still going to come up is the players that choose not to play. You know, the guys that are going to be drafted are going to the NFL, and you're, now you're putting a couple extra games in here are these guys going to play or are they going to opt out because of their NFL opportunity? Right. And does that diminish, you know, what these teams really look like by the time you get to the, to the national championship game now? And so, you know, I think those are some things that are going to, have to be looked at too and addressed. I, I really hope that players will go the other way and start participating in these games and these, in these, I hate seeing guys opt out of bowl games. I understand why they do it. And I understand the money and all that. I just hate that it's come to that point because uh, 
you know, playing for a bowl, a bowl championship for your college team is really special. And there's a lot of people that never get that opportunity. So I'd, I'd love to see people just embrace that a little bit more. We got Coach Doug Martin on the uh, line with us uh, here. Uh, w- with the playoff, just one other note on that, and, and you talked about, you know, opportunity. I think if you look at it, just looking at the top 12 now or, or however I tried to look at it yesterday, I think I got overly complicated, but you could see a scenario where you're going to have an SEC champ and a Big Ten champ, and then as many as six other teams – potentially in the top 12 uh, between those two conferences. So, again, it comes to – it's obviously something that they support because they feel like the commissioners of those respective leagues that they're going to have more more teams in it. So, I'm like you. I think there's there's a need for maybe this expanding. But the fact that we've gotten to 12 and and in some ways have gotten there as quickly as we have – because you know this coach for years, uh, this was decided by, you know, bad dressing uh, sports writers after New Year's Day. For years, that's who, how we determined the national championship. Then we got to the BCS, got to this. So, I mean, really, in the last twenty twenty five years is where we've seen a lot of movement. Yeah, I think you know. I just hope it's not going to be like you said, the same teams. If it's just going to be some SEC teams and some Big Ten teams playing every year in a twelve-team playoff, that's no different than what you have now. So I, I really think having access to these other conferences to have them have an opportunity to get in there. Yeah, I think that's really valuable, and it'll bring a lot more interest to the game from a national perspective. You know, obviously when the SEC and the Big Ten are playing, they're great. This side of the country loves it, but, you know, the other side of the country has no interest. And so, yeah, you know, I think finding a way to get the other conferences involved and have an opportunity would be big for the whole of college football to help the whole game. Yeah. Uh, we've got uh, more with uh, Coach Martin coming up in just a bit. Uh, we're going to talk about the uh, championship games this weekend and uh, how he is looking at will the uh, top four for now stay intact. And uh, some other things involving college football, all of that uh, coming up with uh, Coach Doug Martin here on the Patrick Johnson Show. Coach Doug Martin, we pulled him away from what kind of fishing is going on this time of year? We pulled him away enough from from the shoreline, from the coastline. To, uh, to to talk with us here. We've held him through an extra segment. I twisted his arm, and he uh, he agreed but, to stay on. So, Well, the mackerel are biting, so you heard <laughs> I need to get going here then. Uh, Coach, look, I, I, I don't know if the days of you being able to never buy a meal in New Mexico are, are over now that the Aggies are bowl eligible for the second time in, what, the last 60-some-odd years? Yeah, I tell you what, it's remarkable what happened. You know, they've only won five games, and they didn't get to play 12 games because they had one team that had a catastrophe. You know, man from the other team uh, passed away, so one one game was canceled. So it's really strange, you know, a five-win team getting to a bowl, but I guess there's going to be maybe three of those this year. Yeah. And that's something I think, you know, is not good for college football when you start having losing programs in bowl games. and. Uh, yeah, I think that's something maybe you, you, we may be one or two bowl games too many right now. 
to avoid that problem. Um, but those don't bring a lot to the table when you have a five-win team playing a bowl game. Now, they will be fired up. And again, you know, win more games. I hear what you're saying. But that opportunity for a six-win was taken from them, as you noted there. I think it was San Jose State. Uh, that right. game canceled. So they will be fired up. I, you know, maybe your, your average five and seven team might want to get the heck out of town. But I think this crowd will be kind of fired up, I would imagine. Oh, yeah. I mean, when you have a program that hasn't been to many bowl games, I mean, the one we went to in 2017 was the first one in 57 years. So it's been a long dry spell there. So, yeah, and depending on how close the game is, wherever they're going to play, they, they could bring a lot of a lot of fans to a game. So there is that excitement. And you're right. That's probably a good point you made, Patrick, because other five and seven teams that maybe have been to bowl games recently, but they just had an off year this year and still have to go, may, maybe not be as excited as a program like New Mexico State who hadn't been there in a long time or hadn't been there many times. Uh, Coach Doug Martin on the line with us here. Let's uh, talk about the Pirates' last game. Uh, obviously, uh, a back-and-forth affair. Holt Naylor's made a heck of a play near the end. Uh, you know, I thought it was interesting. Temple had it midfield, fourth and one. Looked like they were going for it. ECU called a timeout, and then Temple changed their mind and punted. Easy to go back now and look and say you you didn't make the right play there because you allowed the pirate offense to come down and, and ECU runs a pretty good two minute offense, uh, this season historically. So do, do you think, I mean, obviously it's easy, it's, it's maybe trite to say, was that the right decision? But I mean, what would be going through a coach's mind, you know, from the temple perspective of, all right, it's midfield. If we convert this, it's probably over. Uh, we're, we've moved the ball, but they've moved the ball. How, how much of all, I mean, what's the discussion like kind of take us, you know, in, in, in the headset there and what's going on in the sidelines on, in that yeah, scenario. I think the, yeah. The big thing there is, you know, how well is your defense playing, you know, and obviously they were not able to stop East Carolina offensively. So that to me, you know, tells you, you need to go for that fourth down opportunity you need to keep your defense off the field and try to win this game right here by hold, holding on to the football. Now, if your defense is, is really playing well and the other team is not moving the ball well, then, you know, punting the ball there and pinning somebody back, you know, is probably a good plan. But um, especially in T- Temple's situation, I thought that was a drastic error, not going for the fourth down there and leaving their offense on the field. Pirates, uh, we saw them against Houston, and uh, the Cougars were just outstanding that day. ECU didn't play well, seemed a little flat, and – came back at Temple and, and, you know, it was a, it was a true dogfight. So when you look at the way ECU concluded the season, Holt Naylor's is really banged up. I think there's some other guys on the roster that, uh, you know, have, have maybe a slight bit more than the normal bumps and bruises. I'm not saying anything, you know, catastrophic, but you know, just some guys that are really, really banged up once they get healthier, cause they took this entire week off. I, I think you'll see a little bit of a different team for the Pirates in the bowl, but with the way that ECU kind of started the season slow, the middle they played really well in the last couple of games, split them and, and you know, had some some things that uh, maybe were a little bit exposed on the defensive end. Yeah, I think from a program standpoint, I can tell you getting to two bowl games in a row is huge. I mean, this was really a big year for East Carolina's football program. You know, they had last year where they got to a bowl, and that was a great step. 
had they taken a step back this year and not made it to a bowl, you kind of lose all that momentum. So, And it's really hard to get to two in a row like that. But that really is a great signal for your program and where it's heading. And it, it really boosts you into recruiting and even into next year. So, uh, you know, compliments to them for what they've done in getting to that second bowl game because that is not easy. Uh, and I agree with you. They, they really got beat up at the end of the year, which a lot of teams do. You know, a 12-game season is really a long season. And playing the teams that they play in the American, that's really competitive. It's hard-hitting. There's, there's going to be those uh, those problems. Wake Forest kind of went through the same deal. Uh, you know, my son coaches there. I kind of watched mm-hmm. them fade off end of the year too they they had trouble playing defense at the end of the year same same thing a lot of injuries so you, you do get a chance to rebound though getting healthy before the bowl game and you get the excitement of playing in the bowl and so you you'll see a lot of teams a lot of teams look a lot different than they did by the end of the year you know it's interesting in the conference usa championship game it's two teams going to the american uh north texas and texas san antonio uh we've talked a little bit about utsa this year i mean they've got 10 wins and they have an enthusiastic fan base, facilities, commitment, investment. You know, North Texas, they're there as well. And Texas is in their name. So <laughs> they, they, yeah. they take it pretty seriously, too. And I think that addition of those two is going to be really a good thing for the American upcoming. It really is. I mean, you, you hit, UTSA is a phenomenal football program. They've really invested in it. North Texas has has a tradition of football, uh, winning football, and, and they put a lot in their program also. And then I think you have Rice coming also. Any team in Texas, I'm just telling you, that Texas high school football is remarkable. I mean, there's a lot of those high schools. We recruited there very heavily when I was at New Mexico State. Um, a lot of the high school coaches there don't teach. They are just full-time coaches. I mean, it's almost like college programs. Uh, in fact, you know, what we found out recruiting there is you have to be really careful because a lot of those players you recruit from Texas are already tapped out. They're not getting any better, you know, because they have already been really coached well in high school. They've had full-time strength coaches, which, mm. you know, a lot of high schools don't have that. In Texas, a lot of those places, most of those places do. So a lot of high school players have already maxed out by the time they get to their senior year in high school. So you got to make sure you're still recruiting guys that have a window where they're going to get better once they get to college. So it's interesting uh, recruiting there, but those schools have a definite advantage from the recruiting standpoint. That's that's fascinating. Uh, Coach Martin with us uh, here. Utah, USC, do you like the Trojans and Lincoln Riley tonight against uh, Utah in the Pac-12? I tell you what, I'm going to shock you here, Patrick, but I like Utah. Wow. I, I, Utah is a great defensive team. They already beat USC once. Right, right. And, uh, I'll tell you what, they play defense and they play it well. And they've got a really confident team and they play with an edge to them. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if USC wins. I think the Caleb Williams' quarterback is unbelievable. Uh, he, he should win the Heisman. He's an incredible player. Uh, but don't be surprised if Utah wins that game. Do you think, uh, well, in the Big 12, TCU and Kansas State, is Kansas State, I mean, nine-win football team, top 10 football team, uh, but TCU seems like, it just seems like this is kind of one of those years where they've won some close games, they finished with a big win to, to wrap up the regular season. They have a lot of momentum right now. 
Yeah, they really do. I mean, it's kind of been a team of destiny, right? And uh, they've kind of been that way all year. I do think that's going to be a great game to watch. I, Kansas State is really well coached. Uh, I wouldn't again. I wouldn't be surprised to see them win that game. And then it'll be interesting, you know, what what happens to TCU as far as the college football playoffs and USC if they were to use, lose to Utah. So, got some interesting games coming up. That'll be a great football game between TCU and Kansas State. Tomorrow afternoon, it's uh, at the Mercedes-Benz Stadium in uh, Atlanta, Georgia, and LSU. LSU with a uh, loss to Texas A&M to end the year. But LSU's had a heck of a year. Uh, Do they have enough to to make it interesting with Georgia or or even knock off the Bulldogs? Yeah, I I don't think so. I I really, when I watch Georgia, I think right now college football is Georgia and then everybody else. Until until proven otherwise, I mean they they are phenomenal on defense. I mean they really play great defense and uh, and offensively they just got weapons. You know they 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 have great balance on offense. They can run the ball, they can throw the ball, they do a lot of different things really well. They throw it deep well. They have a great intermediate passing game. They don't beat themselves. Uh, they're they're just an all around great program right now. And uh, Georgia's going to be hard to beat. Uh, also tomorrow at four in the American UCF and Tulane Knights already beat the green wave. There's some questions at quarterback for uh, central Florida. Tulane is uh, at home. Willie Fritz decided to stay and not go to Georgia tech. How do you see that game going? Yeah, I like Tulane. I, I think they played really well all year. Willie Fritz staying was huge. Obviously if he had chosen to go that, that would have really ruined the chances of Tulane on this deal. But, uh, yeah, I, I like Tulane. I think Central Florida has just really been kind of an up-and-down deal. You really don't know what you're going to get from them from one week to the next. Tulane's been a little bit more of the steady team. And then tomorrow night, uh, Clemson and North Carolina and Charlotte, both teams coming in off a loss. In fact, the Tar Heels have dropped uh, two in a row. Uh, what happens tomorrow night in your mind? Man, that's going to be an interesting game, too. I, I, I would like to say – you know, Clemson, but you just don't know what you're going to get from the quarterback position at Clemson. You know, one game they can score some points, the next game they can't. Um, UNC has not been a very good defensive team all year. Obviously, I think UNC will score some points in that game, regardless of how good Clemson's defense is. Um, I think the whole thing comes down to how can Clemson can Clemson score enough to win that game and you kind of balance in between their offense their offense and how good North Carolina's defense is and that defense has not been very impressive so I tend to go with Clemson in a close one hey coach great to talk to you we really appreciate uh, the time and we'll catch up with you uh, really soon I hope it's been great Patrick I appreciate it we're talking some ball with Brian Mole when we come back uh, Pirates and Camels tonight from Minji's Coliseum and everything else going on on the College Hoops landscape. Straight ahead, Patrick Johnson Show.
minute since we've talked to the great Brian Mull. He's here with us now on the Patrick Johnson Show. The Get You to the Weekend Edition. We got Pirate Basketball coming up tonight. I'm headed over in just a bit to the uh, Coliseum for uh, ECU v. Campbell on E+. tonight. Uh, ben Byram takes over top of the hour to get you uh, ready with our Hoops edition of Pirate Game Day Countdown. And then uh, we'll have coverage beginning at 6.30 with the network uh, tonight on the radio side. So we've got uh, Mole here with us. Uh, of course, with uh, collegeinsider.com, also uh, the Blue Ribbon uh, book. Got to get into my Blue Ribbon book here a little bit uh, with Campbell tonight. Let's start there, Brian. Uh, obviously, the Camels are going to come in hype. Uh, Camels' record, a little deceiving. They've been nicked up. They've had some sickness. They've had some close losses. Pirates have dropped two in a row with this young team, so how they react against a tough team to guard will be key in this one. Uh, how do you see it all playing out tonight? Yeah, you have two teams early in the season still trying to find their way a bit. Um, obviously, a, a, a significant roster turnover at East Carolina, and then uh, Campbell's integrating some new pieces as well. And as you mentioned, missing one of their key key guys, Jesus Carolera, has been out with a wrist, and I do not think he will play tonight. No, um, he will this not. Is, this is, Big game for the Pirates, uh, certainly coming off of uh, the disappointment of the South Carolina State game. Uh, Mike Schwartz, obviously very displeased with the way his team defended in that one and saying afterward they did not deserve to win the game. And I would imagine the last couple of days of practice have been fairly intense on that end of the court. And I think you'll get a much more focused effort. I think he even alluded to uh, trimming the rotation, perhaps, to the guys who are going to emphasize the defensive end and follow the game plan and play hard. Uh, I think he was disappointed with the, with not just the execution on the defensive end, but the energy. Uh, and, but as you said, Campbell, a very interesting team to try and defend, uh, running the Princeton-style offense. Uh, Joshua Lusain coming off a huge game against Stetson is kind of their point forward. They'll get him the ball around the free throw line. He's an excellent passer. He can drive to the basket. He can step out and make a three-point shot every once in a while. And then uh, Ricky Clemens, kind of their emotional leader, uh, just a phenomenal performance the other other day. Playing with the flu, I mean, at the, at the free throw, it was like Michael Jordan game 2.0. I mean, you just you wondered it's a couple times when he was at the free throw line if he was going to get just uh, visibly sick right there. And he just kept making baskets and pull them through to an overtime win. So I think it's a, you know, two fairly evenly matched teams, certainly a regional rival, uh, a game that Campbell would love to win. They'll come in pretty focused. I think it'll be low scoring. Uh, Campbell is again, very deliberate. Uh, they're, they're not in a hurry to shoot and a very solid defensive team as well. So I think we're looking at another one or two possession game and whoever can execute down the stretch will Slip out with the victory. Collegeinsider.com's Brian Mull. I uh, want to go ahead and get you on the record for the Pirates in Wilmington because regardless of how this turns out uh, tonight, for the Pirates, Tuesday's going to be a tough putt. Seahawks are playing well. Trask is probably going to be at near capacity, if not at capacity, and it is going to be a heck of a uh, atmosphere, and they're going to be ready to go. Yeah, I would imagine it will be sold out. Um Five straight wins for the Seahawks coming off of an excellent performance down in the Bahamas where they won the championship, knocking off 
just a traditionally strong North Texas program, one of the best mid-majors in the country, a recent NCAA tournament game winner. And then bouncing back from that uh, with a really gritty performance to win at Coastal Carolina on Wednesday night. And, and this is really the first real home game, if you will, for the Seahawks. They've played a couple of non-Division one games. But I know a lot of folks had this circled on the calendar, and it is one of the few times in recent years where the students have not been in the midst of exams or on holiday break when this game is being played. And, and they've, you know, as Takeo Siddle has rebuilt this program last year, there's been a lot of excitement around the, the, the basketball program again. And the students, to their credit, have shown up even for some of the exhibition and non-Division one games. So I would imagine that it'll, it'll be quite sweaty in there and just a uh, difficult environment. And East Carolina did not show up in their first true road game. Uh, they were, they were manhandled and overpowered by, by more physical team. And uh, they're going to find a, a very gritty defensive opponent uh, down, down here in Wilmington as well. That, that will be a, uh, it, it's always tough for any team to come into Trask, uh, even when the Seahawks are down and, and win a game. And certainly this one will, uh, Maybe a little bit of the luster of this rivalry has faded because they're not in the same conference and they don't play annually every year, but it's great to see this game back on the non-conference schedule. No, it's going to be something. Um, we've got uh, Brian Mull with us uh, here. Pirates have Campbell tonight at 7, 7 o'clock Tuesday down at Trask Coliseum in Wilmington, ECU and UNCW. ACC basketball begins conference play this weekend and a couple of games tonight. That's crazy really is. Uh, earlier and earlier, as uh, these conferences are expanding their conference schedules, and certainly so they have to work a couple of games in, in December, and I think it's why you see so many of these coaches play so many games in, in the first three weeks of the season, just to figure out who they are. Uh, I think NC State improved on their trip uh, to, to Atlanta. Uh, I was kind of impressed with them, to be honest, uh, after uh, not being very impressed with them early in, in some of their home games, but uh, they, they went down there and, uh, you know, solid win over Dayton, convincing win over Butler, and, uh, you know, losing to Kansas uh, in, in a very tightly contested game. So I, I think uh, by all means, uh, if you can't beat Pittsburgh at home, you're not going to have a very good ACC season. So that's just one of those hold-serve type games that mm -hmm. uh, is almost a gimme. You know, you just – you can't afford – to lose many home games at all if you if you expect to contend for an NCAA tournament bid. And I think, uh, you know, NC State has a couple of non-conference wins, one of which the Dayton win should hold up pretty well, even though they're a little banged up now. But uh, you, you've just got to take care of business, and, and this will be a, a good chance for Kevin Keats to get the Wolfpack off to a 1-0 start in ACC. Yeah, uh, we've got Brian Mull with us uh, here. Uh, UNC losing to Indiana. They took a pretty precipitous fall. Uh, after uh, their performance out in Portland at the Tar Heels. Uh, you know, Indiana's really good. Indiana was at home. Tar Heels continue to see to be struggling. You know, you know it's interesting, Brian, we talked to a lot of coaches doing the television, uh, and you even alluded to it earlier with Campbell in East Carolina tonight where you have the situation where the coaches are still trying to get to know their team because there's so many new faces for various reasons. Even even someone who's been there as long as uh, McGeehan's been there with, with Campbell. Uh, four transfers in, not to, you know, not to count the freshmen. So, you know, when you look at 
UNC, they had a lot coming back. Now, they lost Manic. Nance, though, I think, while a different player, is is a really, really good and effective player, or can be and will be. But it's really hard to figure UNC out in some ways right now. And it, it kind of makes, lends a little more credence to what I thought all along, too. And look, they did it, so credit to them last year. But they caught lightning in a bottle, and, and, and Uncle Mo was firmly on their back for about six weeks. And I think, I think a lot of fans in the baby blue and a lot of the pundits forgot the first two or three months of the season last year. Yeah, I mean, look, it's a long season. We're about a quarter of the way through the regular season. But after eight games, uh, I don't think any reasonable observer could say that North Carolina has had a good performance. Uh, certainly stretches of that Alabama game, they looked pretty good. The, the four overtime thriller out in Portland. But at, toward the end of the game, their execution was just poor and not what you would expect at all from a veteran team. Now, in their defense, they're pretty banged up. Uh, I think, uh, you know, leaky black ankle injury at the end of that game and certainly Baycott not full strength. But uh, if, if, you know, just looking kind of from the 10,000-foot view at that team, I, I, I would be concerned with defense. Um, certainly the interior defense has been shaky at times, especially uh, Baycott, uh, you know, as good as he's been and as great as he is on the on the glass, he can get exposed a little bit on the defensive end by some of these taller, more athletic front court players that we're seeing all over the nation and they've certainly faced. And then shot selection has been questionable, uh, you know, uh, not knocking down very many threes, which is just, it's difficult to, to be efficient in college basketball this year when you're, when, when you're not, or anytime when you're not able to make threes consistently and the bench, uh, we felt like this would be a deeper team. Hubert talked about through the summer in the preseason that he knew he needed to go deeper than basically the six man rotation that he used down the stretch last year. I understand there's probably a huge gap. Uh, certainly in experience and maybe uh, in talent uh, between the, the, the first five and the second five, but he has got to find a way to, to, to get those guys on the court and, and develop some depth because they just look, uh, they look exhausted um, at, at times against Indiana, just trying to get back down the court and, and defend. And, you know, they're in a tough spot with exams starting on this weekend and then having to go to Blacksburg and play a very good Virginia tech team on, on Sunday night. I mean, that's a game that, that's never an easy place to play, and Mike Young's team's firing pretty much on all cylinders. So this was potentially a four-game losing streak right here in the in the first real tests of the season for the Tar Heels. Brian Mall uh, with uh, the uh, Blue Ribbon preseason publication. Uh, Mall also with uh, the uh, College Insider website as well. Um, want to get to Houston here really quick, but let's ask you about Duke. Uh, they've got uh, BC, and they're still trying to figure it out, I think, offensively as much as anything. Yeah, I agree. And, and kind of what I'm anticipating uh, with this Duke team is a bit of a remodel offensively, if you will, uh, in December. They have a stretch uh, from December 10th to December 31st, where they only play three games. Now, two of those games are league games, including a road trip for Wake Forest. But I think that will, you know, with, with uh, classes being out, with the semester wrapping up, I think that will give them some opportunity to, 
to kind of figure out what they need to do offensively because they've certainly been ragged on that end at times and, and integrate Derek Whitehead as he is starting to, uh, to, to kind of get up to speed, if you will. He's looked a little bit better, a little more comfortable each game, a little more explosive. I mean, here's a guy that, that close observers uh, to that program felt like would be their leading scorer coming into the season. Of course, had the foot injury and missed the preseason. So, uh, understandably, he's a little bit behind. But when you look at uh, what John Shire has said he would wanted to do with this team is build a strong defensive team. And I think for the most part, you could say that. Now, they struggled to defend Purdue, but so are a lot of people. Uh, that that's a very talented team, especially in the front court. Uh, but I think Duke's heading in a good direction. They've not shot the ball well, and yet they've still been very uh, you know competitive for the most part. And I think that the the real bonus there has been the grad transfer Ryan Young. I think you know a lot of people expected him to be maybe a ten or fifteen minute game guy. But when Derek Lively was out with his injury, I think it gave Young an opportunity to 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 really establish himself in the rotation. And he's been a difference maker in some of these close wins. Houston, number one in the country. Uh, they really put a whipping on Norfolk State. And on the surface, people would say, well, that's not really unexpected. Well, yeah, probably not. They played not really great against Kent State the game before. Norfolk State, though, is coached by uh, a really good coach <laughs> in uh, there for the, uh, for the Spartans. And... You know they're they're going to probably win the MEAC, uh, so that was impressive. Triple digits for them. They get a very good test tomorrow night with St. Mary's, at least historically, and then they've got some interesting tests coming up. Alabama in Houston. Uh, they'll go to Virginia in mid December, so they they've got a couple of games, and I, I would maybe even include the one tomorrow night. You can speak to this more so than me. Uh, they've got a couple tomorrow, the, the next few, we're going to find out a little bit about Houston before they get into American play. Yeah. I mean, they've been as impressive as any team. Uh, they, they returned to number one in the polls for the first time in 40 years since the Drexler Olajuwon days. And what a way to celebrate it, as you mentioned, by beating Norfolk by 48. This team is just uh, everything we expected and maybe the best version yet. Uh, certainly, defending, rebounding like we've come to expect from Houston and then a little bit more offensive firepower with some difference makers in the backcourt. Um, Jairus Walker, the, the big man, five-star big man, has been as good as advertised. And You know, it's not unimaginable to, that, that Houston could be unbeaten heading into American play on December 28th at Tulsa. But I would imagine they'll, they'll lose one. Um, uh Probably the Virginia game. You know, I think that'll be a that'll be an all time rock fight. First man to fifty wins. <laughs> um, they, they, they have a little revenge factor there with Alabama. I don't know if you remember that game last year in Tuscaloosa. Oh, yeah. A little yeah. bit of a controversial ending there. Some heated words afterward. The Houston staff not real happy. Uh, and um, I, I would think that they will certainly that will be another marquee matchup, and and, and they'll have their full attention there. But. Uh, Look, the Cougars are legit. They're not going to go anywhere. They're, they may be able to bump in the road here or there, but uh, this is a team that is built for the Final Four. They're built for the tournament, and uh, what a story that would be with the uh, Final Four being played in Houston this year. Hey, uh, Brian, uh, great to talk to you. Before we go, a uh, quick word on uh, some of the things that Tiger Woods said this week. says he intends to play in the majors and a couple of other tournaments. Uh, he's got his event this uh, weekend, uh, or the Hero 
I guess his tournament, oh, it's his event. The, his tournament is, yeah. is LA. Uh, and then the next week in the hit and giggle with the sun, which is cool, uh, in Orlando. So, um, you know, the, th- that's part of the story. And we can maybe talk about that another day. I, I find it interesting that both he and, and the new face of the PGA, Rory McElroy, I say that with a little tongue in cheek, but you know, it is the truth. Uh, both have said in the last few weeks here, Tiger as recently as 48, 72 hours ago, if Greg Norman's out of the equation, there could maybe be an, uh, a working relationship or at least an agreement between the PGA and Liv. That, that, that's fascinating to me. It is fascinating, and I, I don't, you know, I don't know that it's feasible. I thought that uh, Adam Scott, who's playing this week down at the Australian Open, and is always uh, one of the most thoughtful and articulate professional golfers. Uh, certainly, one of my go-to's whenever I'm covering a, uh, a golf tournament. I try if I have a, a, a kind of a, a next level, deeper question. I certainly try to seek out Adam. And he said, look, uh, in his opinion, uh, you know, he's certainly someone who was recruited hard and heavily by Australia, you know, to join the Australian team on, on live and opted not to. And he said, look, uh, I think the PGA Tour needs to do what's best for itself. The live needs to do the best for itself and it will all work itself out in the end. And I think that's really where we're at. I don't, I don't ever see a kumbaya sitting around the fire moment where Jay Monahan and whomever is leading live tour are uh, sitting there trying to collaborate on the schedule. I do think we, we've got to figure something out with the official world ranking. If we want it to mean anything, uh, certainly, uh, you know, Dustin Johnson plummeting down the, the rankings while he's winning everything right on that tour is, is ridiculous yeah. to anyone. And anyone who doesn't think he's still one of the top 10 or so golfers in the world is just not paying attention. So uh, they've got to figure something out and just uh, kind of put uh, their grievances aside in that matter. But uh, I think as far as, you know, there's a couple of lawsuits out there that probably need to get settled in, in the best way possible. But I, I think for the foreseeable future, there's going to be a PGA tour and a live tour and they're going to operate separately and, in their own best interest. Hey, Brian, thanks. Appreciate the time. Thank you, Patrick. Have a great weekend. Yeah, you too. That'll do it. Thanks to Brian Mull. Thanks also today to uh, Coach Doug Martin for being with us. And thanks to the folks at Greedville for their generosity towards our Operation Santa Claus uh, initiative with uh, Greenville Fire Rescue. Coming up Monday, we'll uh, know where the Pirates are bowling, so we'll discuss that, uh, all of the college football weekend championship uh, game action and we'll also uh, have uh, post-mortem from ECU and Campbell on the hardwood tonight. I'm uh, headed over now. I'll be on the tube ESPN Plus. Hope you'll tune in at 7 o'clock. Certainly listen to uh, coverage here beginning in just a few minutes with Ben Byram. Uh, Our Pirate Game Day countdown lead in to network coverage and then we'll have uh, ECU and Campbell for the radio uh, audience. 6.30 across the network, including here and 107.9 WNCT. Have a safe and great weekend. We'll see you Monday.